there, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the details of the characters, places, things, and concepts from that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, I'm going to be one of your hosts, and we're going to go look into the Royal House of Alderaan with our Royal Historian, Ross. Hey everybody out there in the galaxy, my name is Ross, and I'm also going to be one of your co-hosts today. Uh, we are talking about... Bail Organa. We are talking about Brea Organa. We are talking about the House of Organa. We are having an Organa Spectacular today. We are talking about basically uh, the time period that starts off from about the beginning of the Clone Wars mm -hmm. to about the death of Alderaan. Yeah. And everybody who lives there. Yeah, if you've been following us this month, we've been trying some new stuff by having these sort of character biographies and just sort of loose conversations about that. And we're continuing that with Leia's parents. We are. There are some characters who have recently gotten a lot more added into the canon uh, over the last couple of years. And uh, they're characters who, just like the last two we talked about, Maul and 3PO, mm -hmm. we hope to see much, much more from in the future. These characters are a little bit more secondary than those are, mm -hmm. but uh, Bale especially, very incredible incredibly important to the overall story and somehow we've gone 92 episodes without talking about him so we're gonna <laughs> we're going to and we're gonna start that i think right after this we agree that the time for diplomacy and politics is past it is now time for action. If you are willing to lead us, then we'll join your alliance. It is settled then. My wealth will fund the rebellion while Garm provides our fleet and Mon Mothma our soldiers. And with you leading us, we have the power of the Force on our side. Therefore, let this be an official declaration of rebellion. Today, we all vow to change the galaxy. And one day, the galaxy will indeed be free. We gather today to hang our hands in memory to the Organas, mm. losing their lives the day Alderaan exploded in that terrible, terrible mining accident. Just awful. It's so sad just that awful. such a peaceful planet doing a completely peaceful action of just getting some resources from beneath the ground caused that chain reaction that blew up the entire planet. Okay, so today we are talking about Bale and Bria yes. Organa. Leia's surrogate step-parents, uh, the, the rulers of Alderaan, the uh, viceroy of the Galactic Republic and Imperial Senate, representative of Alderaan, Bail Organa. Uh, we are going to talk about the little bit of information we have about their lives, their appearances in films and other properties, and a little bit about uh, the legacy that they've left behind with Leia, mm -hmm. because her character is obviously heavily influenced by these two people. Absolutely. Now, the Organas were someone we only knew really... Uh, in sort of a, a you know a, a tertiary way, they weren't characters in the original film trilogy. They weren't characters no. that we ever saw. But we knew Leia had parents. We knew Leia had parents that got blown up on Alderaan, right? We knew she had family there, and we knew that that was basically the end of everything she knew. Until later on, when we learned that she was in fact Luke's sister and came from a different background than originally thought, but. All of that still had such a huge effect on the universe and on Leia. And so really, that's what these two characters represent. They represent, you know, Leia's life, her upbringing, her transition. And of course, Bale, who is a pretty major character during the Clone Wars era. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, I mean, because like you said, I think we... We, we un well, first off, we understand that some king or queen was the person that was raising Leia because she's a princess. She's a princess, yes. Um, and I'm pretty sure it might have been the original novelization of Star Wars, but the name Bail Organa has been bouncing around Star Wars forever. Yeah, even even Brea has um, was in original Star Wars drafts, you know, in the novelization mm -hmm. initially. Um, and, you know, there so there are mentions of it. 
But yeah, it didn't make its way into the actual film. And it wasn't until Attack of the Clones that we actually met Bail Organa in person, and then not till the end of Revenge of the Sith that we got to see Bria at all. But luckily, since 2005, there has been some more Bale and Bria content between the Clone Wars, a few novelizations, some comic books. We have gotten a little bit more uh, from them. And so we're going to talk about the Mac. Should we start early on when we first meet Bale in Attack of the Clones? Is that Let's... kind of where we should start? Okay, I think because now the touchstones for all this will be a little different than when you know before the prequels let's yeah let's see in the prequels because bale is much more established character yeah. in the current view of the universe yeah so let's talk about who this character is because really he's the one we do spend the majority of the time with compared to his wife who we're only going to see briefly but right basically bale is he he takes over as the senator for mm-hmm. alderan after the start of the Clone Wars, basically after episode one. So during episode one, Antilles is the senator for Alderaan and Bale succeeds him. Yes, because right. we hear Bale Antilles mentioned in episode one as one of the other candidates for Supreme Chancellor. Yes, yes, exactly. And so basically it's all of these like these these royal people on Alderaan. So you have kind of the royal families, the royal court. Bale is from a royal family. His eventual wife Bria is from a different royal family. And basically what you have is you have Bale who is trying to be sort of the representation of what the separatists, how should I phrase this? Basically, Bale is the sort of lawful good. Everything he's trying to do is for what he believes is for the good of the galaxy, the Republic. Just like Obi-Wan, he believes so strongly in the Republic that he cannot see it necessarily failing before his eyes, even though, unlike Obi-Wan, he is much more aware of the the, downsides of the Republic, how it's failing, where it's failing. I think the basic thing about it is Obi-Wan and Bale represent the idea of the, the old systems that are crumbling have merit and nobility and worth, you know, Obi-Wan, like you said, is a little blind to what the Jedi are doing, but is also like, even if he wasn't like, would still support that the Jedi are better good than they are not existing. Right. Absolutely. And I think Bale's whole thing is like, well, Bale comes from the privilege of Alderaan, a very civil, very longly established diplomatic nation world. Yes. that, That like has proven to themselves as a culture of like how, useful diplomacy and systems and all the stuff works. He knows that's not the case on every world, but he believes that like the kind of civility they have in Alderaan can spread to the rest of the Republic. And the Republic is built on principles that their planet's built on and that we can still fix this. Absolutely. He believes that talking will always be the better way to solve things over fighting. Mm -hmm. And he believes that people want to have peace, that people want to work together and have a steady, stable life because that's where he comes from. He that's all he really knows. Um, and of course, you know, throughout the Clone Wars, he goes on many diplomatic missions. But before we even get there, the first, as far as I could remember, because obviously I wasn't able to go back and read all of these books before we did this topic. These are these nice, loose conversations. Yeah. We're good. Um, I believe now the first canonical appearance we see of Bale is in the uh, Queen's Peril book. Or oh wait, yeah, Queen Shadow. That's the. I always get them confused. Queen Shadow was first, but is the second book. Queen's Peril is the first book, but was second. Right? It's like Clone Wars all over. They're screwing you with this oh, chronology right. stuff. Whatever the one is where she's a senator, not a princess. It's Queen's Peril. Queen's, Queen's Peril, Peril is the first one. Queen Shadow is the book I'm talking about right now. Jeez Louise. Okay. In Queen <laughs> Shadow, uh, the whole concept of the book, without giving too many spoilers away, is it starts right at the end of uh, Her Reign as Queen. Right. right. And she becomes she she's trying to decide what are we going to do now? We're all like only 18, like we're going to go off and, you know, change the world. We're going to now finally get into our careers now that this whole like stint as royals and bodyguards is over. What are we going to do? We need to put these childish things away of running a planet and get onto real adult matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's such a oh, it's so well done in the book. I know. You I have know. to read it. Uh, but <laughs> we get this this point where Padme decides to become a senator. Basically. Because Palpatine asked her to. Right. He is the Supreme Chancellor at this point. Yeah. And he comes to her saying, you could do so much good as the senator for Naboo 
this is what you should do. And it's during her initial time as a senator that she meets Bale for the first time. And he really kind of shows her the way, the the way to, you know, he, he's a mentor for her in the Senate. He introduces her to Mon Mothma and other characters. He basically teaches her how to be the delegate that she needs to be as a senator because a senator has very different responsibilities than a queen. A senator needs to think about the whole galaxy. A right. senator needs to think about the big picture. And that is something that it's not that she didn't do that as queen. It's not that she wasn't an amazing ruler. Her people loved her. Obviously she was, you know, responsible for defeating the trade federation. You know, there, there are all these things that she no, did she's incredibly already, well. She's so yeah, accomplished she's, at such a young age. She's already a great leader. Yes. But he teaches her something that she did not have, knowledge she didn't know. And he also helps her. There's like all of these like crazy assassination attempts and all these other things that he's involved in. But normal political normal political stuff. But basically, this is really where they get to know each other and how they develop trust in each other. So by the time we see them in episode two, they're already established friends. They're they're colleagues. They work together. You know, Padme, Mon Mothma, and Bale are basically the original founding members of the Rebellion in a way. Um, and well, yeah, because when they, they, they join the... What is it? The Signatories of A Thousand Worlds? Yeah, that that cut scene that isn't in the movie, which is a shame. But well, but that coalition uh, is still canon in yes, the sense yes, of like yes. there, there's basically a political action committee inside of the Senate made up of a thousand different worlds representing the idea yeah. of we are for Palpatine putting back those powers he told us he would relinquish. Yeah. Yes. And so we have, after the Queen's Peril story, this is where we get into episode two, and and he is essentially, you know, we see him being a senator. We see him being a politician. It's not really until episode three that he steps out, but what I love about all this Bale stuff between episode two and three mm-hmm. is there's so many great Clone Wars stories in between there yeah. that really show him, for lack of a better term, getting his hands dirty. You know, he's out there on mercy missions, basically because he cannot affect change in the Senate in an effective way like he wants to. He's out literally doing these, uh, as they call in Star Wars all the time, mercy missions or diplomatic missions or peacekeeping missions, whatever you want to call them. Basically, he's providing supplies to refugees, people who are, you know, their planets have been devastated by war. Um, One of the best Clone Wars, you know, bits that he gets is him and uh, Jar Jar go to Toydaria to talk to the king about how, oh, we need to use your planet as a staging ground for Ryloth and, uh, you know, because they need our help. They need the Republic's help. And, you know, he he is always when you see him, he's doing diplomatic things that lead to action beats. That's well, his character. Arc, yeah, I think, the, I think the best way to put it is like, you know, he's he's not just a senator sitting there signing paperwork and saying this needs to happen. Yeah. He's also he's also like, you know, joining the Peace Corps in his spare time yeah. to run to like go physically run this stuff. And I think it just shows. Uh, what I think is nice is Alderaan is not a privileged utopia. It's a bunch of people who worked hard to make this world a better place, and they yeah. want to spread that. You yes, know? absolutely. Uh, there was a lot of great kind of content in Legends about Alderaan, about how it was originally settled and all that, and how they grew to be this peaceful utopia, but a lot of that isn't in there anymore. Um, you know, and there are some other great missions. You know, there's the stuff on Christophsis with Bale and... You know, he's sprinkled all throughout the Clone Wars and very much the same way when we talked about, um, is it Yularen? No, not Yularen. Hmm. Who is, um, oh my gosh, why is the name escaping me? This is why we don't... The Republic, um, General, or Admiral, I mean. Oh, Jendadara? No, 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 um, mm-hmm. during the Clone Wars, who becomes, a uh, for, for the Empire, who becomes a moth for the Empire. Well, what the heck is his name? You, well, was I right when I said Yularen? Admiral Yularen. Should I have just guy, trusted my gut? Yeah, I say Admiral Yularen's the one who runs the the task group of Anakin's battle group, who eventually ends up in yes. uh, the in yeah, the, the one from uh, the the yeah he wears break, the, the nice, echo arc. He, that's Tarkin. No, I know Tarkin's in that, but isn't there? All right. Well, anyway. It's Yularen. I was right. I should have just stuck with my gut. Y- y- Yularen is the clone warrior admiral who yeah. ends up being in charge of Compnor and the ISB. With the great mustache. 
and the nice white jacket in in who's sitting at that conference table as tags get oh my tag. Gosh, this is gonna drive t- me nuts now. You, anyway, okay. yes, <laughs> he's got Wolf this. is the guy who def- goes evil. Yes. If you want to put it, we that did way. him as a topic like three months ago. Or it's something. Wolf Yularen. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm almost I positive just... we're talking yes. about Wolf Yularen. Yes. We'll edit this out. I'm sure. I love when podcasts say that. Oh, you think I have time for that. No, (laughs) I know. That's why it's fun. But anyway, during that topic, we (laughs) talked about the fact that Yularen kind of shows up and serves the same purpose in every Clone Wars episode. But there, it's kind of serving a stereotype. It's basically setting up this relatively minor character as more ingrained in the world. Whereas with Bale, we're actually seeing more of the type of person he is. Because when you're in these situations that are like... Yularen is a military man. We see him in military situations. Bale is a politician and a leader, and so we see him do political things, but we also see him be a leader outside of the political arena. We see him be a leader in ways on the battlefield. We see him be a leader when it comes to negotiate. I mean, these are political things, I guess, but we see him be a leader with negotiation, and we see all of these little things sprinkled throughout Clone Wars that really make his character arc in episode three, which is really where he gets the chance to shine the most, that much more satisfying. Because by the time we get to episode three, we're getting towards the end of the Clone Wars. We first see him right after Palpatine is rescued by Anakin and Kenobi. Mm -hmm. And basically at this point for this film, he becomes a pretty major character. And it's yeah, because because like you said, in the previous movies, the most we saw was just, OK, fellow senator. OK, yeah. we're establishing the fact that Padme and him have a connection because eventually he's going to be the adoptive daughter. You know, his da- Padme's daughter is going to end up in his hands. So we have to establish the ramp for that. Yes. And we establish he doesn't have much to say. But one of my favorite scenes is the balcony scene where the senators are watching the deployment of uh, the Grand Army to yeah. Coruscant at the end of episode two. Right. Right. And yeah. you just see him like pound his fist against the uh the balcony and you just even though it doesn't say anything you just see like this is the guy who's like no we shouldn't be doing this we the the people like me who believe that like an army is absolutely abhorrent for the republic to have we've lost this and how are we going to fix this which like you said i think just frames all his clone war stuff yes of just like he wants to do humanitarian aid he wants to do diplomacy he he He's not against the people in the army. It's not their fault. But he's against the Republic having an army in which it was using all kinds of different methods to combat the separatists, not running around the galaxy, garrisoning and attacking planets. And also, uh, there's another great little, since you brought that up, another great little Clone Wars arc where him and Padme are basically trying to figure out, like, hey, Palpatine wants to take out these these loans for more clones. This will literally destroy the Republic if we do this, because we will not have enough money to operate. Our citizens have already lost all of their basic needs. They're not being met because of this war. And of course, on Palpatine's end, he's just sitting there with his fingers steepled together going, yes, yes, this is exactly what I want. They'll be desperate. They'll have to come to me. But meanwhile, in a bunch of the other senators, they're going like, balance budgets, we don't do those. (laughs) Well, why would they We're a government. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's all this great stuff. But in episode three, some of the best things we see of Bale, Mm -hmm. you know, throughout the film, he's, you know, kind of arguing in the Senate, arguing against uh, the senator or uh, the chancellor. Um, But then after Order 66 happens, he's the one to go rush to the Jedi Temple to try and help. Oh, yeah. He sees the temple on fire. He knows things are going down. And he just, on his own, Did in you, his personal well, see, speeder... Because the way that scene feels... Right, yeah, because like you said, up to this point, he's just basically like, we're seeing the turn from Palpatine is no longer a political rival to some of these people. He's becoming the enemy of the Republic's ideals. Yes. And, like, you know, you know, Bale's pretty upset about this. Padme's pretty upset. My Mothma's pretty upset. You know, they're they're forming this delegation. And I just love the idea of, like, the way that scene feels is, like, he's just driving in his car, you know, driving home from a nice dinner or something. <laughs> sees something weird over at the Jedi Temple. Says, well, I'm a friend of the Jedi. I'll stop by. Swing by. See if everything's okay. That light shouldn't be on kind of thing, right? Yeah. Drives down. Gets out. He's like, what's going on? He sees the troops. And there's a, you know, the troops are just like, sir, there's nothing wrong here. You can just move on. Just Everything's fine. And he's like, I mean... Okay, I mean, it's weird, but okay, you guys seem fine. Like, turns around, and some kid comes running out with yeah. a lightsaber, getting gunned down in front of him. Bale's like, no, no, nothing is fine here. <laughs> Not just any kid either, Jed Lucas. That's right. Uh, his name is something like Zat 
Judilly or something. It's like flipping the J and the... It, it's weird. It's but... like a lot of cameos where we... we yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter what his name is because that's not the character we're talking about. But anyway, uh, that's a great moment because you basically see this like teenage Jedi. So either someone late in their Padawan ship or an early night. You know, it's not really in the film at least expressed. It is expressed later. But basically you see this kid get done gunned down by the clones, right? And Bale is basically the witness to this. And he's, you know, they start shooting at him next. Well, yeah, because he, he just back. shouts, no. Yeah. He's just like, he's, he's horrified by this. And 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 gets the hell out of there. <laughs> yes, uh, rightfully so. And so after this, he is now realizing how serious the situation is. You know, he uh, even though I don't think it's actually in the movie, right? This is another one of the deleted scenes. He goes to talk to Padme about this. Mm-hmm. And then basically, this is where his story really starts in the film, like where it really picks up. Because right. he is responsible for saving Yoda and Obi-Wan. Without him, they could have potentially well, ended back up on the planet and gotten killed by the clones of the temple. I think the biggest thing is his what he witnessed on that landing platform at the Jedi Temple frames everything that he's one of the few people that's understanding that. No, 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 no. Even if the Jedi did what they said, even if they tried to stop the Supreme Chancellor, A, I low-key agree with that. B, <laughs> this is genocide. Yeah. This There's no framing of this that's correct. They can't all be culpable for this. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's trying to figure out where he can help um, save these people from being exterminated. Yeah. And even though he sends out a distress call, he goes out in his ship, the Tenta V3, and basically tries to save as many as possible, he is only able to reach Yoda and Obi-Wan. They gather together. He sneaks them back into Coruscant. Yeah, uh, a crime that he would immediately be executed High for. High treason at this point. Yeah, I mean, the Galactic this, this dude is like gone rebel so fast, he was ready, right? And at this point, it's funny because now the people we've been fighting all along, these evil separatists, are now here. We are rooting for the separatists now, the people going okay. against the government. That is when the transition happens, and it but happens remember, immediately. They didn't leave the Republic. The Republic left them. <laughs> Which in this case is literally true. They became, a, they became an empire. They did. That's very true. Um, and so he sneaks Obi-Wan and Yoda you know, back onto Coruscant. He attends the, the hearing where Palpatine basically declares himself ruler, you know, declares yeah. himself a dictator. Uh, he's there, you know, for, for Padme's infamous about, line. He gloriously put things together so that they can have peace and prosperity. <laughs> the attempt on my life has left me scarred. I, really? Really? You, you, but, it looks like more than that. But as Rebels will tell you, over time we massage that image. Everyone thinks I got plastic surgery and stuff. But uh, <laughs> I do love uh, that. That's one of my good. favorite moments in all of Rebels is when you see the hologram of Palpatine and you see what the universe thinks Emperor Palpatine looks oh, like. Oh, yeah. It's so great. All the propaganda stuff is great whenever it shows up. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so, yeah, the, the Jedi have their time to try and get accomplished what they want. Obi-Wan is able to ascertain Anakin's guilt. He is able to send the message out to the remaining Jedi to keep them away from Coruscant. Yoda goes and has his battle and does not win against the emperor. And, and you know, there's Bale underneath the, underneath the Senate building here to catch him. <laughs> I love that. What a, what a fun way to use that character for another thing, because that didn't have to be what happened there. Cause we it's just, just a great way to put him in there for another minute. Because we've established a couple things. One, Bail Organa, real good guy, great diplomat, walks the walk, talks the talk. Also, pretty good at driving. He's got mad skills, for sure. Getting he do, he doesn't well, he's had per- all this practice with Coruscant traffic. He doesn't have a personal driver. He could have doesn't one. Have a chauffeur. But no, he's like, I like this car. I'm going to drive it. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Um, and then, uh, let's see, is the next time we see Bale heading to Rendezvous with Obi-Wan and Padme and a dying Padme? I believe so. Yeah, because he, he essentially, his whole thing is he smuggles Yoda out, whereas yeah. Obi-Wan leaves on Padme's ship. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, when when Obi-Wan has gone through what he needs to go through, he reaches out to like, uh, this girl's dying and I don't know what, and Bale's like, oh, well, here's this, here's this off the beaten path asteroid base. Polis go here. Massa. Go one here. I'll meet you things, there. One of the coolest additions to Star Wars is Polis Massa, the uh, asteroid installation they're on where Luke and Leia are born. Um, 
and the great medical droid is there, and basically Bale is kind of like a, you know, he he's standing there, Obi-Wan and Yoda get a lot of the dialogue here, but basically he is a witness to the birth of the twins, uh, he is a witness to Padme's death, to the fall of the Republic, to the rise of the Empire, uh, he knows what happened to Anakin, you know, he's one of few people who has all the pieces, and basically the only person to know Luke, or <laughs> to know Obi-Wan and Yoda are both still alive. Him and R2. Yep. Um, so, uh, he- they, you know, Yoda, Obi-Wan, Bale are sitting around the conference room table. Basically, they got a flow chart, a pros and cons list. And they're like, all right, <laughs> do we send them to, uh, you know, do we send them to Moncala? No, that won't work. All right. Do we send them to Trask? Nah, they're they're allergic to corn. All right. Well, where do we send these kids? Right. And eventually they work it all out that the boy will be sent to Tatooine to live with his family and Obi-Wan will watch over him. But. Senator Organa and his wife have always wanted a little girl, so they take Leia home. And this is kind of the first mention in the films of yeah. Leia's mom. Yes, yes, yes. Queen of Alderaan, Brea Organa, who we will talk about more in just a moment. So we get to see sort of during the, the conclusion here of the film, we get to see Bale arriving on the planet with a new baby in his arms. Uh, she He is met by his wife, and together they get to sit there and uh, enjoy a little moment of peace. And as the audience, we get a little moment of happiness, at least, oh. seeing this family come together, you know, from such a violent beginning. And I think, I think what we get from both of these is the... The sense of little eyes of the storm as the entire galaxy is getting uprooted and twisted into the Empire. These two kids are going to be thankfully mostly isolated from that. And what I mean yeah. with Leia, she gets to always come home from diplomatic missions to this little paradise. These, yeah. This this mountain, uh, you know, space Switzerland, nice, idyllic place. Yeah. And Luke, well, not in an idyllic place, is going to be on the planet that's farthest from the bright center of the galaxy. He won't be caught up in most of the Imperial nonsense. He yeah. won't be hunted. He will get to have a generally normal childhood. Yeah, absolutely. These, uh, the... When we first meet Leia in A New Hope, I don't think we would ever really think that her parents would become large characters in the universe. Right. But... Bale's actions during the prequels, during the end of the Republic era, uh, make him a pretty important character to the story overall. I mean, you know, what he does for Yoda and Obi-Wan, I mean, that is like a linchpin thing in the overall story. And I really, really love how they work that in there. It's. I think it's not hard to argue that if it wasn't for Bale Organa, the Jedi would have been exterminated. Order 66 would have been more complete. Yeah. Because later on, Bale does more to help out the Jedi when it comes to Fulcrum. But before we get to that, there's one thing I want to throw in. Oh, go ahead. I mean, just think about it. Like, some of the other Jedi survivors see, like, say, Kanan. Mm. Kanan wouldn't have survived if Obi-Wan hadn't gotten that message out to stay away. You know, if he didn't know that, he would have ended up back in Imperial hands trying to get back to the temple or get back to Jedi places, which they're all the Jedi places have garrisons of stormtroopers ready there to murder you. Yeah. You know, like it, it is a very important thing that it, it's not, I think unreasonable to think that the Jedi might not have Obi-Wan and Yoda may not have been able to do what they do in episode three. If it wasn't directly because of that man. Yeah, absolutely agree. And, well, it just makes him that much more compelling, right? Totally. Now, they've added in after the fact that Bale sent ahead a letter, like a handwritten letter to Bria, because it couldn't be intercepted. You know, it couldn't be decoded or anything. Safer. Yeah, about uh, the imminent arrival of him and something that would change their lives forever. And the Mm -hmm. reason I bring that up is because later that letter shows up, like Leia has possession of it, I think in Bloodline. I'm trying to remember all these details. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyway, that letter shows back up later. But uh, the majority of the content that we're going to get here of Bale, you know, for the next 19 years until he dies and with his wife, a lot of it is going to come from the Leia Princess of Alderaan novel, another yes. Claudia Gray piece, uh, and probably the most overlooked Claudia Gray novel, I would say, uh, just because it's a young reader novel that came out as part of the journey to The Last Jedi, and it is mostly a story about young 14-year-old Leia, 
dealing with the um, young Imperial Senate. You know, they basically have like a like a um, like a Muppet Babies version of the Senate where it's like children learning like it's like an academy type of deal where they're learning to be politics, politicians, not too dissimilar than the the kind of life we read about with Padme of. Uh, being pruned at a young age yeah. for diplomatic service. Absolutely. And, and you know, Leia always wanted to be more involved with what her parents did. And, you know, this is really the first novel where uh, Brea gets to be a character. Um, now, I've heard it pronounced Bria and Brea. I lean towards Brea because Brea is more of like an actual, like, base, like name. My uh, primary belief system on this is it hasn't been said in canon, so we don't know. That's fair. That's fair. No one's spoken it out loud, and I have not listened to the audiobook. And, and, and I love audiobooks, but I can promise you that is not the definitive answer you want. Absolutely. Because there have definitely been names that have been have changed after the fact, yeah. Is it Han? Is it Han? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Depends on where you're from. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Bria. Let's transition yeah. to, to Brea now. Um, so a couple things. Uh, she's from a, a royal family, just like Bale is, and she is basically destined to be the queen of Alderaan. Uh, you know, she goes through, they, they have this cool thing on Alderaan that's talked about in this novel where they have these different trials, these different things that they have to basically pick themselves so they have to like pick a test or multiple tests that they're going to do, you know, whether it uh, shows their physical courage or their mental stability or, you know, they have these different things they go through. And one of Bria's kind of defining things is because of an injury sustained during her challenges, she was never able to have kids of her own. She has these robotic lungs because she fell off of a mountain, essentially. Mm. And so because of all of this, you know, it makes sort of their adoption of Leia that much more interesting because that is one of the reasons why they don't have kids on their own. Right. She wants a child and is incapable of having one. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, their relationship is very, very interesting. Because at this point, you know, the rebellion is in full swing. Bale right. has gone out and he has met with Ahsoka. I mean, years and years now they've been working together as her as Fulcrum. You know, the rebellion is starting to catch fire across the galaxy. And the individual rebel cells are starting to come together to form an alliance at this point. You know, about five years before A New Hope. And so, you know, Bale is fully involved. He's still the Imperial Senator because the Imperial Senate is still technically a thing. But Well, because Bale is still a true believer that, like, as long as there's any shreds of democracy, I will be supporting them. Yeah. So he's trying his best, but really he is putting more work in behind the scenes with Dodonda and Mon Mothma to really try and get the rebellion going. And as Leia learns about these things, she wants to be more involved. And her and her mother, you know, are at odds at sometimes because her mother wants her to really focus on her royal duties, right. whereas Leia really wants to move more into, you know, the diplomatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, Basically, like, I want to be more like dad than mom. Yes, that is that is a lot of that feeling in there. Uh, and the book is great. I'm not going to give too many spoilers away for the book because really Bale and Brea are secondary characters in the novel. It is mostly a Leia story and even a good bit of Holdo if you're interested in that type of Ooh. thing. Uh, but, you know, let, let's talk a, just a little bit about what we do know about her mother because yeah. other than the fact that she's a ruler, that she has these sort of injuries that she lives with, you know, we don't know much about her. She's a... Uh, she she takes time to really teach people about all the Iranian culture. You know, she 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 directly influences citizens. She works with them. She talks with them. You know, she handles like keeping track of a certain other needs of the planet. Like it's not like she's just sitting on a throne all day. She's a very well, active and out there ruler trying to bring happiness to her and people. And this is also queen in the sense of like what we saw on Naboo. It's a weirdly diplomatic way that you get there because it's of these great houses of Alderaan. Yeah. They basically decide who's going to be the ruling house for periods of time. Yeah. And so the heads of those houses thus become the royalty of the planet. Yeah. And I feel it's not just that, one inbred bloodline. Yeah. Like and, in real world examples. Um, it, yeah. Well, again, it, it's a democratic and queen is a position yeah. not a not a bequeathed title for yeah. for your family yeah. not not but but it is a little more it is a little more royalty when you look at how Alderaan is assembled into these houses and while those houses bring new members in in many different ways it's not yeah. just bloodlines it's a little more it's a little more medieval uh, politics on yeah. Alderaan than it was on, say, Naboo, where yes. Queen is literally just another name for president. Yes, it's more <laughs> traditional on 
Alderaan, but less traditional than like the British royal family. Correct. Like or or Toydaria, where yeah. I believe that king <laughs> is from that one bloodline that's uh, running the planet. I fully believe that too. Boy, are they great on Toydaria. Um, but but just to establish that, and so much like the royal family of say Britain in our world, they are a huge symbol of Alderanian um, sovereignty and Alderanian. Um, Goodwill, like, you know, the queen is responsible for showing up for a lot of things to prom- promote Alderanian culture, to help the people be invested in their own culture, to spread that kind of culture to the rest of the world, which, of course, right now is very important to have someone selling peace and selling it out to mm-hmm. a world that is. Oh, the war's over? <laughs> Question mark. I guess it depends on where you live. One second, what your zip code is. We won? <laughs> Uh, So a few more years pass and the rebellion, you know, becomes more and more in full swing. Uh, We see Bale. He is on Yavin. He is basically helping run the operation from Yavin um, at the time of the Battle of Scarif. And after the Battle of Scarif, he sends Leia to get Obi-Wan. She's the only person who's available to receive the transmission of the Death Star plans. So her mission sort of changes midway. All Bale knows is that her ship is captured and destroyed by the Empire, right? Yep. Uh, And then he goes back to Alderaan to tell Bria that, basically to say that we hope Leia's still alive, but her ship was captured. We don't know what happens. And they do specifically stay destroyed here. Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, one thing I just want to stop is, and this is the other time we see... Bale Organa played by Jimmy Smith in Star Wars is in oh, Rogue yes, One. Oh, yes, yes, good in point. In Rogue One, we have the conference room scene where where Jin mm. Erso is just saying, like, no, 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 we got to go deal with this. Like, I know how bad it is. And everyone's there like, well, yeah, but if this super weapon does exist, first off, there is no way to fight that thing. Two, you're the kid of the person who made it, so you're not exactly the most reliable person for us to trust to go fix this. <laughs> and then you have characters like Mamothma being sympathetic but pragmatic of like we're we're just a ragtag group of freedom fighters here we we can't take on a battle station we can't go assault an entire planet that would spend all the resources that we have and even bail is is like i think bail just the way that he's presented just his acting is like very sympathetic to like i i'm a man of action i'm with you but i don't know if this is the right action um, I completely agree. I'm sorry. I'm trying to look up who voiced Bale in the Clone Wars. Um, because it's listed that it was a mix of Jimmy Smith's and Phil Lamar. Okay. So and I was trying to look Phil that Lamar's up if that, fairly, was, if that was accurate. Phil Lamar is a fairly famous voice actor. He's been in a yeah. lot of stuff. Because uh, I was looking at the, uh, at you know, at his IMDb page, and I don't see Clone Wars listed there for Jimmy Smith's. Well, so here, here's my thing. If if Bail Organa, and I can't remember, if Bail Organa showed up in, like, the later seasons after the Disney acquisition, I'm sure they can get him. Because yeah. that's one of Disney's magic tricks. They have yeah. recording studios across the planet. Yeah. And before, I wouldn't be surprised they, they needed a voice alike, because yeah. Indy Lucas animation probably couldn't afford. But <laughs> I, I don't know. So it's probably, a mix be, it's probably a mix because some appearances he is and some appearances yeah. he isn't. Yeah. But Rogue One, again, it was... It's really funny. Just you hire Jimmy Smith, he comes in the room and he gives so much more legitimacy and connectivity because he's one of the main characters that bridges the two franchises. Because, like we said, he's been kicking around since forever. Since Leia said, You served with my father in the Clone War, you know. Yeah. He's just been this character that bridged the old to the new even before we knew who he was. Absolutely. And that's part of the magic of him for sure. Now, there is a story in one of our most talked about books from a certain point of view, (laughs) the first one, where Bale and Bria are talking on Alderaan. They are, you know, exchanging news of their daughter. They're hoping she's safe. And they're there. They're talking as they see their son is getting eclipsed. They see the Death Star in the sky. Bale is aware of what this is because he knows of what happened on... He just came from Scarif um, where they said, we can't deal with this thing. So he yeah. knows exactly what that thing is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not Scarif. Um, oh, no, Jetta. no, sorry. Jetta. Came, no, I'm sorry. Came from Jetta. Yeah, he... Well, well he knew he of Jetta. He came from Yavin 4 because right. we just had the conversation right. of what happened to Jetta, what could happen to another right. planet, and right. how this thing might be 
the doomsday weapon that will crush the rebellion. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Secret no, that's good. I trust me. I get it. It's confusing. Um, okay. So unfortunately, we see that this is the last time they're together. The last time they're alive. As the planet gets blown up, they're there together, basically hoping for their daughter's safety. Right. And there's that great little cosmic force note of like them both believing beyond just belief that like yeah. their daughter's okay. Yeah. There's gotta be some, some spark of hope in them about it. And yeah. then at the end there's a sort of peace cause we're seeing it mostly from Bale's yeah. perspective. There's a sort of peace of mind of just like knowing like this isn't the end. Something great will come out of this. Yeah. And that this optimism mining accident won't just lead to <laughs> that optimism is what makes Bale such a fun character. I think because you want that positivity in your shows and you know in other things i've seen jimmy smith's in as well he ends up being you know he, he's a positive force in a lot of cases and he's just a guy when you see him like you can feel like you trust him yeah and that's the kind of energy he brings to bail and that's what makes it so fun now there are a few more little things sprinkled in um one thing i was kind of scratching my head at is there's a statue of bail and brea made on yavin but mm -hmm. when did they have time to make a statue between the time Alderaan blew up well, and the time they evacuated? When do you see it? Like it's like, it's in the comics, but I mean in the it, new it's after a new hope. Uh, okay, well, because because depending on how old it is, I mean, I can understand it. The other thing about yeah. it is we do see in the comic books like the second the medal ceremony is over, we already see the Alderaanians among them have built a little shrine. Like, basically going like, yeah, no, I'm glad the war is over. Our planet's dead. Is that when that is? Because I was trying to remember, because I've read this issue. But, like, how did they have time to make, like, wouldn't that take months to craft stone? Like, 3D printers. It's actually made of styrofoam. Okay, okay. Uh, the one. I, here's the thing. You can draw this stuff, but you can't justify it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 the point is... They do establish in the comic books, and you know my feelings about the comic books, um, that, yes, the Alderanians, and, and look, this is one of those, like, I don't want to say it's it's like it's a cheap character beat, but, like, you want sympathy for a character or give a character a lot of reasons to have hatred for the Empire, make him Alderanian. Like, yeah, it's such sure. an easy dunk shot, and, like, sometimes it's been used really, really well, sometimes it's been used as just, like, a one-note thing. Yeah. Like, um... I like that Cara Dune in Mandalorian represents the other side of the coin of like, no, I came from a pacifist country. I believed in democracy. Then they blew up my world and then became a hardcore fighter <laughs> who will kill every Imperial with extreme prejudice because, yeah. you know, you just burned all of that out of me. <laughs> um, there's also the Alderanian Memorial on Coruscant and... Um... Showing the dangers of mining. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's also quick, just some talk case, of them in Bloodline. Just in case like I was, that. like, not aware. The Imperial cover story for Alderaan's destruction is, no, their death weapon didn't blow it up yeah. because Tarkin's a jerk. No, that's not the official line. The official line is that it was a mining that caused a chain reaction in the planet core that blew it up. Yeah. Because they, they talk about it on Scarif, like Scarif being this, like, accident, like, they talk about it. And then when it gets to Alderaan, at first it's like, oh, this will be, a, you know, a, a great show of power. But then after the fact, after the Death Star's blown up, the Empire's like, no, we're going to cover it up. Right. Like, like Tarkin's out there like, we're going to show them what we're made of. But because the Death Star loses... Yeah, when the Death Star would come and park by Coruscant yeah. for the unveiling and ribbon-cutting ceremony of, like, we rule the galaxy now, it was a great show of force. Uh, when uh, a, a kid in his, like, freaking airplane flew by and with one shot blew up the whole thing, story's not reading very well. PR spun it a different way. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. So that is... Essentially, the culmination yeah. of the story of Bale and Bria, um, you know, they're with the exception of Bale in episode three, they don't get a ton of time to shine, mm -hmm. but it is great that we've had them become more than the Snakes. obscure reference they were in the first couple films. Yeah. And it's really great to know where Leia came from, why she is the way that she is. You know, she's strong willed because not only of the people she was born from but because of the people who raised her. Yeah. And she's smart and she's savvy and it's all thanks to them. Uh, and 
that is why they deserve their own topic on our show. And mm-hmm. they are characters that I know we both hope to see more of. Um, I truly believe one day we're going to get more young Leia stuff. Right. Uh, like Princess of Alderaan. And so it's only well, a matter of time, I think, till we see more of that. And there's there's other things like you won't surprise me if like some of the characters that are running around the galaxy doing, you know, starting rebellion stuff. We've already seen Saw Gerrera in The Bad Batch. Yeah. Seeing Bale wouldn't surprise me. Seeing Cham Sandula wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Like those people are very busy in this period of galactic history. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of these types of people who popped up in Rebels, too. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the people who make this stuff are very aware of these characters that could use some more screen time. And people like them. I mean, people love Jimmy Smith. So people are going to yeah. be happy to see Bale show up anytime. Uh, and I can't wait for more. And I, I think I'm going to reread Play A Princess of Alderaan after this topic. Right. And I, I hope we get to talk about it more in the future. But for now, I think we'll lay the Organas to rest and move on. Well, that brings another episode home as we uh, explore again in May, just doing these sort of character yeah. profiles. Um, I, I, I'm having fun with them. They're, they're, they're loose. They're very loose. They're, uh, they're a whole new type of experience. I know we've gotten a lot of good feedback on the Mall and the 3PO episode, so we'll see how it goes when it's characters that are a little bit less prominent sure. in the universe. But I know we've been wanting to talk about Boyle Grana for a while, yeah. and it just worked out to be perfect because yesterday the day before we recorded we learned that jimmy smith was getting a star on the hollywood walk so, of fame you told me that right before we recorded and like <laughs> that is insane <laughs> we picked this topic like at the beginning of the month and like it's just it worked out so yeah. perfectly uh it was perfect timing we could not believe it um totally deserve now i just thought we'd take a minute you know it's a little bit of a short episode let's yeah, yeah you know what else has jimmy smith's like what else have you seen him in because for me my only other real experience with him is sons of anarchy he you know he was in about 40 oh. episodes about like the last four or five seasons of the show uh and he played a pretty major role uh in that show when he eventually got added on as like a later season character okay um and was really great in it you know it was a really great character really great acting and that would have been, you know, that show started in 08. So this is a couple years after Revenge of the Sith that he would have been added on, you know, six years or so. Um, but beyond that, I've never seen any of his police procedurals or anything like that. Um, so other than like his appearances and stuff like The Force Unleashed, you know, where he where he voiced his character. Um, is there anything else that you have seen him in? I mean, obviously, like Rogue One. Uh where he stands Basically out. outside of you're, you're outside asking, of Star Wars, yeah, yeah. So I knew he was a, a a constant actor on NYPD Blue, but I was of the correct age to not be watching police procedurals like that when I was younger. Um, <laughs> so realistically, I'm I, I'm I'm mostly like you. Like as far as I'm concerned, he 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 was born to play Bale, and he played Bale, and then he faded back into obscurity. He's not. He's he's a very stalwart actor who's been in tons of stuff. I think he was... Was he on West Wing? Mm-hmm. He was. Okay, yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I know there was some other huge show that he was on. Another show that, again, I'm not... <laughs> I'm here for Attack of the Clones and think this is a great movie. So, of course, I'm not watching the West Wing, this highbrow, very smart, clever political show. <laughs> um, um, He does have a role coming up in the in the Heights movie. Which is, oh. even though the trailers make it look really bad, it's apparently getting really great reviews, so I don't well, know. Trailers are getting more complicated as we go forward in time. Yeah. Um, he was uh, he had a couple guest spots on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I guess I have seen him on there. And then the one that I kind of forgot about, looking through his IMDb, apparently oh, yeah. he was on a season of Dexter. Oh. But I don't really remember that. I did watch Dexter, didn't really love it. But he was on it apparently. I don't yeah, remember not, that. Not a. Mm. So I have seen him pop up in more places than even I was remembering offhand. 
Um, I'm, I'm blo- running through it too. He was in the Tommy Knockers. I remember watching that. No one else should watch that. It's. I have not seen time. that. It's a time and a place. It sure. was fine for the time. That time is not now. <laughs> um, he was on an episode of Miami Vice once, like the old one. <laughs> I'm sure it's just a guest star because it's like his second credit ever. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the whole point about it is like he's on. He's been on three of so, arguably top tier television that has ever exist. NYPD Blue, West Wing, Sons of Anarchy. Like he's doing fine for himself. Yeah. His his crossover with my my interest has been mostly he's in Star Wars. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It's fun because yeah, I mean, I, we're we're pretty much exactly the same. Even though I was a huge Sons of Anarchy fan when it aired, it's it's not a show I've gone back to you know since really. I, don't, I actually don't think it's I don't think it's a show that you're meant to. Like when I talk yeah. to people and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm going back. We never watched Lost." I'm like, "And you're watching it now." Like, I mean, you can, you can do whatever you want, but like, why? <laughs> See, I feel the opposite about that. I am a big fan of watching shows once they're over. No, I am actually it, kind of, dr- I dread how many Disney shows I'm being made to watch week to week lately. Uh, well, it's one thing if you want to binge at the end, but what I'm trying to say is like, so much of some of those shows is being part of the conversation and yeah. culture as it's happening. Yeah. See, that doesn't do it for me. That That's never something I'm worried about. But I get it. I totally get it. But, like, the water no, cooler like, talk doesn't do it for me. I don't no, need no, that. No, I no. Don't, I don't mean just that. I mean, like, the fact of, like, if you watch Lost right now, how aware were you of the world in, like, 2010? Do you remember what that world was like? Because it is an uncompromisingly, this is 2010, and we're yeah. not, like, and if you are surprised by flip phones, get ready. Sure, sure, You know what sure. I mean? Like, they've dated in a way that they didn't care about trying to be timeless. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so much content these days is not trying to be timeless. It's meant to be the, the flavor of the week. And, and I get and, that. And it's again, a different and I think, age. But... And I think most of that is is because it's meant to be consumed right now. Yeah. You're supposed to be part of it right now. Yeah. And then when it's over, it doesn't really matter if it lasts forever. You know, yeah. I think Breaking Bad is still an amazing TV show for people who like it. Um, but, like... How many more years will it make sense for, you know, as it goes on, is it going to be like watching Miami Vice going like, were you part of the 80s? Well, no, then Miami Vice is not going to make sense to you. And it's funny to think, like, uh, that's a really good example. Like, the first season of Breaking Bad is like 13 years old. Like, it's not like that. It's not as recent as it feels. And that shows a little bit of a more, uh, it's a different type of example because since it's ended, it's also had a sequel movie and a prequel series. And, well, the franchise you know, so, continues on. Yeah, but... the franchise continues on. So I think that show in particular will have longer legs. And, you know, thanks to services like Netflix, I mean, I think some of these networks, yeah, you know, Peacock, and there are all these networks getting their own streaming services now. Yeah. But if they were smart, they would keep them on general streaming services like Netflix because they will find a wider audience. We'll keep you your know. older stuff and then be making the sequels and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Shows like, you know, Avatar and Legend of Korra found new life last year during the pandemic because they aired on Netflix right. when they had almost been forgotten about. And now look, a year later, there's Avatar Nickelodeon as Avatar Studios. Yes. And they're making tons of new content and people are so, so thrilled and happy. And in my opinion, more importantly, people who were fans of that content are now going to get more of it. The same thing we have gotten with Star Wars since 2014. And if I'm a fan of something, I want more content. I'm never the person who's like, no, don't give me more because it could potentially be bad. Uh... That's not me. The only place I, I, I live in that space is like, give me more of that world. Like I understand that, sure. Like, for example, Avatar. Aang's story's over. I don't need more Aang stories. Don't do Aang stories. Go do new stories yeah. in that world, because the world is huge enough yeah. to make more stuff. C- kind of like Star Wars. Like, I'm... Huh, I I still think that we are way too close. Doesn't matter when. Way too close to, you know, episode 10. <laughs> At the same time, I'm like, I'm good with yeah. the Skywalkers being kind of told. Yeah. Like, you want to you want to shore up some of the missing parts of their story like a young princess Leia. I'm all fought for that, yeah. but I'm like the most important stories were already filmed of those characters. Yeah. Everything else is just extra stuff and I'm more than happy to just move on to new stuff. Yeah. I I like, also think I could agree with that in the fact that like 
I love, love, love that we're getting things in different eras coming up. Yes. Like, you know how much I love the High Republic, the idea of a different era and stuff like the Alkalite. And, you know, as much as I love the Mandalorian, and if you would ask me in like 2012, what period do I want to see Star Wars cover the most? It's the period after Return of the Jedi. But since the sequel trilogy, I am very much like, yeah, let's do different things. Let's do 100 years in the future. Let's do 100 years in the past. I'm doing great. Like, what do I want to see? I want to see the down the Empire's End era, you know? Yeah. And Mandalorian's like, we got you. I'm like, great. Yeah. You know the other one I really want to see? We've got a little taste of it in Fallen Order. I'd love to see, like, the immediate aftermath. Oh, we got the Bad Batch. Okay, just keep making all the content for me, Star Wars. I'm more than happy. Yeah, you I make know. Me, you make me a Knights of the Old Republic thing, and my mind will just melt by the fact of, like, no, seriously, who likes me over there at Lucasfilm? Yeah. Uh, they are making content exclusively for you, Mac. I'm convinced. Can I just also say, yeah. Bad Batch? I feel is because, man, the dad vibes, they're like, Mandalorian, got to have some dad vibes. Bad Batch, got to have some dad vibes. Yeah. And I'm I'm really enjoying it. I got to really say, enjoying it. when the, is this the first time we've talked about Bad Batch? Since, Since the pirate? Okay. Yeah. Well, all I'm going to say is, um, and, and I don't even know if I can really express this yet because we're only, what, four episodes in. Yeah. But the Bad Batch feels so much more like a live action TV show than an animated TV show. Mm, yeah. It's something about the pacing. It's something about the style. It's not serialized. It's a long evolving story. Mm-hmm. Um, even just, you know, opening with the same, like those colorful droid or helmet to, you know, that, the, the that star like, Wars. Sizzle yeah. That, that new have. sizzle that they've added for the Mandalorian. That's now in front of the holiday special and all these other things. I yeah. was not expecting that in front of the Bad Batch because they didn't put it in front of Clone Wars, but they didn't put it in front of Clone Wars to keep within the style of Clone Wars. Now that we're on to something truly new, that right away just kind of told me, oh, this is going to feel different. And I think they've succeeded in making this feel like oh. a live action, serious show that is animated. Yeah. 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 And I don't want to, th- this isn't meant to say that like Clone Wars and Rebels aren't serious or anything like that because you know how much I love those shows. But this is this feels unique in animation. It feels like something different. Well, I think the other thing is you just see how good their animation has gotten. Oh yeah, like their worlds are so good. Like the variety yeah. of scenes we've already seen. Like one thing, if you really have a careful eye, especially in Clone Wars and especially the first like two seasons of Rebel, you go, ah, we only have so many resources. That's why all these stories are happening yeah. on Lothal. That's why. We, we went back to Christophus a few times and we're inside a lot of ships in the first few seasons of Clone Wars because we can only make so many yeah. assets so fast. Just the simple fact of Hunter having an outfit change, like in yeah. the first couple episodes, would have never happened in early Oh, yeah, Clone they Wars. all have civilian outfits already. And it's yeah. like, someone had to build that. Yeah, I and, love And it. I think that's what makes it feel refreshing. But I also think, beyond all the things you mentioned about why it, a lot of the reasons it could feel grounded, I think the other thing is, it is such a raw story it is it is the a-team right it's this group of extremely specialized warriors trying to hide in the shadows of the universe and one of the most exciting things about it is and we don't really know where they're going because they have no idea where they're going they're just going from you know moment to moment just trying to keep ahead of being identified absolutely and it's great. I'm having a ton of fun watching it. I'm loving every episode every week. And this may just be me, but I don't feel like I need to wake up at like six in the morning every Friday to watch it. Like, I'm okay. Like, uh, episode three, I didn't get to watch it till Saturday morning. And it was fine. Like, for whatever reason, this show, I'm enjoying it so much, mm-hmm. but I don't feel the same stress around it that I did with, like, Mandalorian. <laughs> Maybe spoilers just aren't as prominent. Maybe, like, you know, since Mandalorian season two was the cameo show. That isn't really what the Bad Batch is. So maybe that's why. But I'm just, I'm enjoying this show in a different way than I have other animated shows. But I'm also enjoying it in a different way than I have other live action Star Wars shows. So it's really right now this unique, interesting thing that I can't wait to see what it evolves into. Because it's gonna. It's gonna become something different than what it is right now. I just know it. And I found it so funny that at the beginning of this whole thing, I'm just like, I don't know if you're gonna sustain a show for a whole time. And then I'm like, yeah, no, we can do five seasons of this. We'll be good. (laughs) See, I still don't know if that's what will happen, but I'm hoping because I'm loving it. Here's my thing. I do kind of hope it's just as long as it needs to be because there will be a certain level of like how 
many stories can we tell of them being just in front of the knife edge of being caught, right? Right, right, right. right. But there is a part of me that's going like, there's just the simple fact of bringing Omega into it and how all the characters are reacting to that and how, like, after last week's episode, we realized that there's a bigger galaxy that's very curious about this young lady. Like, it has made it like, oh, we have enough skin, you know, there's enough meat on the bone to go a lot further than I thought we were going to be able to. We Also, uh... D. Bradley Baker... (laughs) Is amazing yeah. as he voices half the show. Yeah, it's great. But my favorite thing that I realized uh, the other day is, you know what he's credited for this show? His main credit? Hmm. D. Bradley Baker. The Bad Batch. Oh, I love that. He's not individually marked for all the characters because he just is the Bad Batch. Yeah. Everyone from Crosshair to Record to Hunter. I love it. Great. Oh, it's so good. Um, we, we have a quick second, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. We haven't talked about this yet. I guess slight spoilers if you haven't watched The Bad Bat, but really, this is just the theory. I mean, Omega's thing is she's Force-sensitive, right? Maybe. Like, that's the thing. Like, she looks just like a young Palpatine. Here's my favorite part. You remember, like, when we were talking about Ahsoka during the Clone Wars? I'm like, she's got to die, right? It's like, yeah, that means that's the most logical thing that would happen. Then why do we keep downing it? Because it's interesting, and that's how they're going to string us along for years. Yeah, I mean, that is what this feels like. You're right. But, like, the fact that she looks just like a young Palpatine, that's the first thing. I've seen that fan theory. I also Oh, is that? Okay. Here's my thing. She looks like a kid. Yeah. You could read a lot into that. Yeah, it's really just the hair. I, I, I think it's... I think I think they know what they're doing. I think they yeah. know that we can spin all these things up. And I do agree that Omega is and it it feels the most obvious thing would be an attempt to do something with force sensitivity. That yeah. this is the foundation of whatever Palpatine is working on that will uh, will pay off by the time we get to Exegol. Right. That that these two threads are the most logical things to tie together. But I also go when Ahsoka's journey ended in a way that no one really, pred- people will say they did, did not really predict. Right, right, right. Right? right, right. right? It was perfectly cathartic and made sense. So Absolutely. I feel that, like, Dave Filoni's team is like, if you're talking about it, we win. It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. If yeah. you're talking about it, we win yeah. because you have interest in our show. Absolutely. And I, I could very much believe that inside Lucasfilm, they even say, like, well, there's a couple ways it could go. Well, what, what's the ending? Man, we're going to see how fans react, kind of ebb and flow with that. I mean, like, I, I I think... I think if they wanted to really nail the Force sensitivity, they would have shown one or two... Like, just a moment of her precognitively knowing. Like, there's that yeah. whole whole thing where they're trying to get the boot off of from the ship, and yeah. she's involved. She doesn't show any precognitive there, right? Yeah. And that would have been an easy moment of just tipping the hand towards that yeah. storyline, which is why I think it could totally possibly be... But they are holding that really close to the vest because they want you to get to know this character before you start getting the secrets of why a top flight bounty hunter is after her. Why the Kaminoans keep talking about like how important she is. Why, um, uh, was it Lee Soon, uh, made sure she like leaves with the Bad Batch because the Bad Batch will protect her from the Empire yeah. screwing around with yeah. what they're planning. Absolutely. You know? And the Kaminoans are one of the most interesting characters in this show because it's like their motives are so murky and hard to def- figure out. Like, yes, they yeah. want to stay in business. That's like the most obvious play. <laughs> yeah. But like the way that they're processing this is just yeah. very interesting. Yeah. I think it's really funny of like, they existed before the clone army, but now it's like they're our only client. Like, we, we've devoted all resources to them. If they pull out, we're screwed. Well, when you become a galactic empire, it's not like, well, actually, we're trying to diversify our markets. And we're trying to, to, to branch out, building some small security forces for some local garrisons. Oh, what would those be for? Well, you know, to protect them from foreign interests, like the Empire. No, you can't build those. <laughs> Censured. You uh, don't. You don't need any more armies. We're the only army you need. We have cool black clone troopers now. We do. I got to say, I pre-ordered that uh, elite trooper. You know, the all-black clone armor trooper. Yeah. And I was so happy because I almost canceled it a couple times. I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. But I got it at list. I let it show up. It shipped early. Whatever. It's the first non-clone trooper of the empire what a cool thing yeah what a yeah. cool cool thing that's a and really so now good i'm looking super at it. happy i have it that is pretty cool yeah uh oh. but anyway what an awesome what an awesome thing 
What Good time awesome to be in Star Wars. Boy, Star Wars has never been uh, firing on all cylinders like it is right now. Has. It is. It's pretty flipping rad. Yeah. Things are great. Yeah. And I'm hoping uh, uh, I, I, this is maybe a little premature, but like uh, E3 conversations are starting to spin up. And I'm very excited to see if there's any Star Wars related announcements. Boy, because it feels like we need a big Star Wars tentpole game, doesn't it? If we leave this calendar year not with some... Well, first off, with direct confirmation of what we know is probably happening, which is Fallen Order 2. Yeah. But, like, I would Fallen be... Fallen Order-er. I would be very surprised um, if we don't figure that all out. Like, E3, I could see the the teaser just sort of officially announcing that, yes, work has commenced on, you know, the Fallen Order 2. Um, but I would really like to see... Um, I would really like to see like a trailer and maybe a release date of like you know late twenty twenty two or early twenty twenty three. And Battlefront three, you would think is going to happen at some point. Well, the thing is, EA got a lot of projects mucked up, so I don't know where we're going with that. But yeah. like, I, I yeah, I think after we had a good run with Squadrons, sort of the energy of Star Wars gaming is running out a little bit, so it, it feels like it's it's about time to get another shot in the yeah. arm. I mean, Battlefront 2, at the end of its run, did better than it did during most of its time, like, when it was launched. Yeah, we like, don't punish controversy. It, it it went, it got huge towards the end, so, um, it didn't even anything's need possible. Boxes. <laughs> didn't even need them. Um, there's a lot more to come, I'm sure. Oh yeah, no, we're we're again we're in a fantastic place. More Bad Batch this Friday. We're going to continue it on. The only thing I'm confused about: Do you know how many episodes are in the Bad Batch? Does anyone know how many episodes are in the Bad Batch? Um, didn't they initially say sixteen? Maybe I can't remember. I poked around a little bit and I'm like, I, I don't know how many episodes they made. That's probably just something I made so, up in my head. Then I, my brain just tells me by the time Loki comes out, I'm assuming it will be wrapped up. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know how the math works on that, but that's just my assumption. I doubt it. I doubt it because we're only at episode five coming up, right? Right. And Loki's in like a couple weeks. Oh, is it June? June 6th. Oh, it's June. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I don't think so because remember, Loki's airing on Wednesdays. What? Yeah, or Thursday, not Fridays. I don't Tearing Wednesdays I don't know Thursdays. how I feel about that. Yeah. But this isn't the Marvel All In cast. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. So, all right. I think that's it. I, I think I'm good. You good? I'm good. All right. Well, I'm back. <laughs> and I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. Uh, may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.